You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Today's sermon is the fourth and final lesson in our summer series entitled Covenant out of Jeremiah 31. This lesson highlights the fourth statement of the new covenant that God will forgive sin and remember it no more. Does God really forgive and forget? How does that align with God's character of omniscience and his heart to deal justly? The new covenant points to a better sacrifice in Jesus, and through his blood, we can be not only truly forgiven, but it would enable God to no longer call our sin to mind. Please visit our website, RoanokeValleyChurch.org, and our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Church for more resources, sermons, and links to help you be a part of what God is doing in the Roanoke Valley. And now, enjoy today's sermon. Welcome, brother. It's awesome. The imagery was uh, glorious, and I appreciate the Dowdies coming up here and helping us to remember who God is and just the joy of being able to walk with him, imitate him, uh, is wonderful. So love to have my friends up here uh, this morning. Um, as was mentioned, we are uh, the Roanoke Valley Church, the New River Valley Church, and the Lynchburg Valley Church. Although, geographical correction, there are no valleys in Lynchburg, right? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's the city of Seven Hills. There's got to be a valley. I don't know. We'll just go. There's mountains. So there has to be a valley somewhere, and it's nearby. And the James River runs through Lynchburg, so there's a valley. I st- is it a river? We say the same thing about the Roanoke River. Is it? Anyway, now that I've uh, made enemies, let's, let's, uh, let's move forward here. We have uh, been going through a series on Covenant, and today is our fourth and final installation of our short series here. The last two Sundays, if you watched online or you joined us here in Roanoke, uh, ben Hutchins came up here and preached uh, a couple Sundays ago, and then our very own uh, Kevin Bamber preached the word last Sunday and did a great job. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to those, uh, please go on our YouTube channel or our, our website or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to those two fantastic sermons. So we are coming in for a landing today. Uh, we are, again, in Jeremiah 31. So if you could turn over that section of Scripture, we'll be in a couple verses where we've been for a month now, uh, reading the covenant, a new covenant, a prophesying of, of Jeremiah as to what God is up to and what he's always planned to do and how he's bringing that to bear in Jesus and what that means for us today. But before we jump into that text, please uh, pray with me. Uh, Lord in heaven, God, we come before you at this time. We worship you. We love you. God, we've been reminded as we need in our hearts of your goodness, of your desires for us to walk humbly with you, to love mercy, uh, to exact justice as you do, and to wait patiently for that as well. God, we do pray that uh, in our hearts we can walk with you. God, we know that you are here through your spirit, and your spirit is in your word, and you are working among us in mysterious ways, God, through your spirit. We pray that our hearts are soft, that you give us ears to hear. We give a, a heart, God, that's willing to walk in your ways and trust you in all areas. God, be with this time as, we, uh, sh- as I share this message. Give me words uh, that you would want uh, us to hear that I have not yet prepared. And take away words that I have scribbled down here that you don't want to be said. We follow your spirit, God. You are in charge. This is your church. And we pray that you would lead us powerfully at this time as we open your word. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right. So kind of a question for thought before we jump in the passage. Um, anybody have painful memories of mistakes you've made? Wish that you could erase those memories from your minds. Not only that, erase them from the minds of others. 
kind of an MIB, men in black kind of scenario, like get the pen out and, and cause people to forget or even just turn that thing around to a men in black selfie and forget what just happened. That sounds wonderful and freeing. How about this? The reality is, is that that can happen. In some degree, it can. And in other degrees, it, it won't. It may not even be healthy to do such a thing. But do you relate to struggling to not hold, to, hold on to not only your memories, but hold on to the memories of what other people have done, the mistakes they've done? And not only the mistakes they've done, but its effect on you or the people you love or even at a greater degree, the community or even our world. Um, I know we've struggled with that. I know I have. That even feels like memories hound you, that they come up at the most inopportune times. They follow you into uh, glorious opportunities. If you've made a mistake, it can hang over your head like, oh, here we go again. Uh, in the sports world, the sport, sports world, they call it a loser mentality, uh, where you say, oh, here we go again. It happens a lot to Philadelphia sports. Not of as recent, uh, but, but uh, here we go again is, uh, is kind of the familiar uh, phrase in Philadelphia, but not as familiar as it is in Washington. So, but these uh, mistakes, these mistakes can label you in the minds of others. I know that there's things, uh, when I go back to, uh, you know, I, I skipped my 20th anniversary of high school because it was during COVID, and I, I probably would have skipped it anyway. Uh, but there's that moment where, you know, you walk back into a high school graduation and people are flooded with the memories of what you did or who you were when you were 15, 16, 17, and 18. And some of us want to avoid uh, those years. And I am chief among you. I don't want to recall, I don't want to do any water cooler talk about high school. Those were, uh, those were not great years. And I would like to forget those. And I would not like to know that someone else remembers those things. But we do, don't we? We do remember our mistakes. We do remember the mistakes of others. They hound us. We've been labeled. You are labeled. Other people label you. There's things you've done that is not you anymore, but yet, in the minds of others, it is still you. And that is uh, impossible to control, but don't we try? Don't we try? Don't we pray? Don't we prepare? Don't we present in a way that wants to deal with painful memories the impacts of those, whether it was us who made the mistake or it was someone else who made the mistake. But to rid that is to rid yourself of the world. To rid yourself of the reality is that we are fallen and we all need help. And today's communion was the gospel in, in eight minutes. And my prayer is that this sermon will be another gospel in a little bit longer time. But uh, the gospel coming at you again. You know, what we're reading here in Jeremiah ultimately is the new covenant, a prophetic word from Jeremiah about what God from the very beginning had always planned to do. He had always planned to do these things. So while we've read it a few times here in Roanoke, I pray that it strikes new again. Let's read it together in verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them out, took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, 
and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. We'll stop there. Today, we're, we're zeroing in on that last sentence of this prophecy, of this new covenant. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Those are powerful words. And ultimately, something that those in Israel, the Hebrews, understood to a degree, but couldn't imagine what this really meant. And I believe for us, even still, as we celebrate a communion, we understand in part that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, and we do understand, I would say, I would argue, we understand more of what God has done than our brothers and sisters, the Hebrews, here as they're hearing Jeremiah. But even we still know in part the magnitude of what Jesus has done and what that means for us. And even this statement that Jesus, or God, and the three head, the Trinity, remembers your sin no more. And I believe I can say that with confidence that we understand that in part because we can't imagine fully what it's like to remember our own sins no more or to remember someone else's sins no more. And there are quotes by great enlightened people that would say that that's actually foolish to do such a thing, especially when it comes to others' mistakes. I ain't no fool right? Fool me once. Shame on me. Whatever it is. It's not my notes, clearly. But here, we're going to zero in in kind of two parts. One, the familiarity with forgiveness. And all of us are familiar with forgiveness. And what I'm talking about here is forgiveness in regards to what God brings about, what he's done. So I got a few slides up here. Uh, if you want to cycle through them, we'll this is an image of the Passover lamb that harks all the way back to Exodus chapter 11 where God in his forthright, in his mercy, in his justice says we're going to deal with the Egyptians. We're going to deal with Pharaoh and the oppression. We're going to deal with him. And all I want you to do is to, as you would be accustomed to, to actually kill a lamb and put its blood on the frame of your door. And that will tell the spirit, the angel, to pass over your home. But anyone that does not have the blood, their firstborn will be killed. And it was that imagery where God is dealing with oppression. He's dealing with injustice. And he's doing it with what? Blood. Because God, as, he, as, as they would know later in the law, that the life of a creature is in its blood. Next slide there, Will. There we go. The life of the creature is its blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And while the Passover lamb was given before the law, that would all make sense just a little bit more as they began the process of making sacrifices for their sin. That every, every moment there's smoke billowing from the temple reminders of our need for forgiveness. That there's a personal, 
purchase and responsibility that comes with sin as the family head, you would take that lamb, you would take a pigeon if you couldn't afford it, you would take an animal who has a heartbeat that has life in it, carry it to the temple, put your hands on it, confess all your sins on it, kill it, and the blood would run down the altar, it would be picked up and smattered over all of the lampstands, everything, the Ark of the Covenant, and that would be atonement for your sins up to that point. And as a Hebrew, you would understand that as you did that, that wasn't your last time doing it. You're coming back, and you're coming back, and you're coming back. But the, the Hebrews knew that where there is sin, there needs to be a substitute. Where there is sin, something dies. And in God's grace and his provisions to that point, it was not us, but these animals. But it was the life for a life. And Leviticus and the law would make details to how we could have atonement. But as we know, and as the author of Hebrews would make clear to a new covenant people in Hebrews 10 verses 1 through 4, talking about this law, kind of knowing forgiveness in part, he says here, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? So even the Hebrews' understanding of forgiveness is that this is to a point, this is to a moment, but I'm going to have to keep doing this. this does this really forgive me? Does this really allow me to move forward when you know I'm going to need forgiveness again? And I'm going to have to keep coming back. Something else, more specifically, something else is going to have to die over and over and over and over again. And as New Covenant people, we understand that we are always and will always be in need for continual forgiveness. But what the New Covenant brings about is not this continuation of something having to die over and over and over again. That atonement can be given once and for all. That the sacrifices can be stopped. And this is all a shadow of what we have in the new covenant. It goes on to say, therefore the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all. It would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and pigeons and so on and so forth to take away sins. So Hebrews is harking back to the, to the Hebrews who understand the Old Covenant that sin equals sacrifice over and over and over again, forgiveness available but only to a point, but guilt remains. Atonement cannot yet come, and it's impossible for your sins to be taken away without a greater sacrifice. So while the Hebrews are familiar with forgiveness, I think we are too. And I think there may be some of us here this morning that have lost or have dwindled or have watered down or even just forgotten or have minimized the power of the blood of Christ. That we understand Jesus died for us, but yet we live as if it's up to us. That we understand that Jesus died once and for all, and I have atonement and, and redemption 
and adoption, but yet I still carry around the guilt and the burden, and therefore that produces in me something that requires my life must wash away my own guilt. Or I must do enough to assuage the guilt I feel. That if I mess up once, man, I've got to do good a couple times somehow believing in some other type of religion there where the good outweighs the bad. And there are plenty of folks and friends, and I used to live this way, that you know what? I was very familiar with what I did bad. They were, I was often reminded of the mistakes I made from loved ones and friends. That was harbored over me. I rem- it, it was, Mama, Mama forgives you, but she ain't never forgetting. And it was brought up, and it was brought up. And when I'd see grandparents or uncles and aunts, you know, we'd see them once a year. And it was very much like once a year, the great high priest goes in and makes a sacrifice for my sin. It was like, oh, here comes trouble. And I was like, it's been a year. I'm not trouble anymore. Oh, yes, you are. My memory of you is trouble, so therefore you are trouble. And if I'm being honest, there are people in my life, past and present, when I see them, I mutter some things to myself too. Here comes so-and-so, fill in the blank. Here comes Mr. Know-it-all. I'm not looking at anybody. Here comes, you know, whatever. And so do you. So I believe we're familiar. But what God is after is not just familiarity. He's after a real heart, penetrating, purposeful identity in the new covenant. Not knowledge alone, but something that compels and guides and informs and transforms us. That this new covenant wasn't meant to be just a slap on the back and go get them, girl, go get them, boy. It was meant to be an inside-out transformation that now your walk with God is different. That the fruits of the Spirit aren't just nice memory verses, but they're actually tangible things. That you actually can be a man of peace, a woman of peace. You actually can be a purpose, a person of goodness and gentleness and kindness. That these things can develop in you more and more, not be, ah, that's never something I'm going to be. Because of previous mistakes or difficulties here and now. That the new covenant and forgiveness and atonement in the blood of Christ is so powerful that it actually can make this statement true. I will remember their sins no more. Do you believe that? The new covenant says it. I don't always believe that. I think I'm rarely informed by that. And I have a couple different reasons for that. But I want you to think about what what your what are your reasons why this statement seems funny? Almost, shall I say, dangerous. To the religious world, knowing that God remembers sin no more almost gives a license to kind of relativism. Ah, God's not going to remember my sins no more. That's not great grammar. But it, God's not going to remember my sins. Hey, I can just kind of do what I want. It doesn't matter. God loves me. He's going to love me forever. It doesn't matter what I do. And that's relativism. It's a sense that I can do what I want, and God's going to be who he is, and he's going to forgive me. And that leads to a life of lawlessness, ingratitude. And honestly, I've been there where it doesn't produce the fruits of the Spirit. It doesn't produce an imitation of Jesus in my life. If anything, it produces stagnation backsliding. And in general, kind of, I've seen things get worse. 
rather than be transformed. But the other side of that coin is equally as dangerous. Where I mentioned before that this statement can be funky. I don't know if God actually is that way. I'm not sure he really is that way. So you know what? I better do what's right to earn this type of covenant. I better, again, check those boxes, do enough, believe in myself that I'm doing enough to receive or actually show that God, that I appreciate this stuff, God. That's where I go now. I appreciate grace. I'm not taking advantage of it. Look what I'm doing. And it's almost like, again, proving to myself or to proving to God that I'm grateful. And I think about that painfully when I give a gift to my child, my son or my daughter, and they feel a sense of obligation to kind of like, oh, okay, well, now that you've done this, I, I, I'll, do, I'll be different, Dad. I'll, and it's almost like, okay, that's great. I, I do desire for you to be different. But that's not why I gave you this gift. This was not blackmail. This was not leveraging. I wasn't using my finances to somehow shape your behavior or for you to love me more. That's unhealthy. But yet, I do it all the time. God, God, see, I'm different, I'm different, I'm different. I'm not taking your forgiveness, your, your, your grace for granted. See, see, see. So this statement's funky. And I think we fall somewhere on that spectrum. But this statement's not funky. It's functified. It's true. Now before you get crazy, remembering their sins no more, this, this does to the mind of many, attack the very character of God. How can God forget sin and still be God? Does God forget? How can a God forget anything? Doesn't God, doesn't this attack his omnipotence, his, uh, his omniscience, that he knows everything? How can God be omniscient and yet forget your sin? Hmm. Sounds like another series. So you got to go back to the Hebrew. You can uh, go to a different translation. It doesn't mean he forgets. What this is in the Hebrew is this word akat, which means I will not call it to mind. I will not call your sins to mind anymore. So does he, as we understand, forget? No. He knows us so intimately. He knows you before you. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you. He can cut through soul and spirit, as Hebrew 4 tells us, the attitudes of your mind. He knows all of that. He knows your sin before you sin. He knows everything that's going to pan out. He is omniscient. But where the power of God, also in this new covenant, is that he can know all those things and not call them to mind. That means, bringing it home to us, let's say there was a terrible act against you. And here comes your betrayer. That you can know exactly what they did intimately to a point. And yet, when you see them, you do not call it to mind. Not, I remember, I'm going to choose to not think about that right now. And as Brittany said, I can relate to that. Just, hey, put a smile on. Or, oh, let me... 
tap into some Jesus here real quick. Let me listen to some spirit right now. Let me be gentle. But in your heart, you're raging. That's me. That's you. It's like, how is this possible? How can I know intimately and yet not call it to mind? Next slide. Forget? No. Not call to mind? Somehow? Yes. This is what the world tells us. Next slide there, Will. Ooh, one more. I'll come back to that. It's what uh, JFK says. Forgive your enemies, but never forget their names. Essentially like, yeah, you can forgive, but when you show up, I remember. And it's not so much like, hey, you know, I, for, I, I forgave you, and we'll talk a little bit about this, but again, it's that same type of spirit that, oh no, you, you ain't getting me twice. You're not gonna get me. I'm ready for you to try that again. And that, without a doubt, changes your heart and posture, your charity, your love. It changes you. And that is difficult. Forgive and forget, but keep a list of all the names. And truthfully, or truly, you have a list. You have a list of names, of trauma, of experiences, of abandonment, of betrayal. You have the kids in your name, the names of the kids in kindergarten that said something funky about your glasses or your haircut, something. Someone said something about your mama, and you remember that kid. My first memory of preschool, and if he's watching some crazy way, bring it on. My, I have a couple memories, but one memory doesn't require pictures. So I guess this is really my only memory of preschool. Was outside playing kickball, and Ryan Schlintz hit me in the face so hard. Headshots, we didn't call them that in preschool. Those were illegal. And not only that, but the ball bounced off my face over the chain link fence into, this is Back Bay in, in Virginia Beach, so into the swamp to never be recovered or ever again. And it was just over. And the, it just had to be done. There was no, there was, there was no revenge. It was, the game was over. It was like, okay, John got swacked and then has no opportunity to redeem himself. And I just remember being humiliated and then stewing because I had to somehow just have it end. I'm like, okay, it's over, and here I am, and we're moving on to something else. And Ryan Schlintz did that to me. <laughs> and that is my memory of kindergarten. I've never seen him again. I don't know. I, again, we were preschool, so he probably doesn't look anything like he did then. And I, I do. But in but the sense of I have his name in my Rolodex, and it takes me zero time to recall the memory. And that is a solid 36 years ago. Boom, do the math, I was about four. I have memories of mistakes I've made that are so keenly displayed in my mind. And I'm reminded of them all the time. And I have a twin brother, a lot of you guys know that, identical twin brother. And we used to fight over dumb stuff, which 
is pretty much true of most fights. Dumb stuff. I've told this story before. We were playing Madden on Nintendo or Sega or whatever it was. I kicked a field goal. We were supposed to go to overtime. Ben was upset. I went, ha ha. And we both had long hair because we were surfer kids. And he proceeded to pull my hair. I pulled his hair. It was a really ferocious fight at this point. And uh, not only did I get the better of him, but I swung him into a wall and I swung him back onto this big office chair made out of wood and split his head open right here. And uh, I remember like, whoa, that's a lot of blood. And being so embarrassed and so uh, mad at myself that I didn't even want to go to the urgent care with my brother. I was so ashamed. And I actually jumped over a, uh, my dresser that was catty corner to corner. So I jumped over and hid behind my dresser in the corner. Don't feel sorry for me. My brother was the, was the one that got the worst of it. But that scar, now that my, you know, he and I are balding and he's decided to, you know, do, do it, you know, get rid of it. I saw him just last weekend and we played golf together and there was that scar, man, right there on his shiny bald head. And uh, we were driving to the car and, you know, he didn't mention anything, but I'm glancing at it all the time like, oh man, dude. I felt compelled even in that moment after, this was, we were like 12, uh, 28 years ago, me saying like, hey man, I'm really sorry about that. Like I felt compelled to say something. It's just a memory, and you've got them too. Mistakes that you wish you could go back in time and rewrite, or traumatic experiences that you're still wrestling through to find some type of understanding with, I can't change this, this happened to me, they were wrong. How do I reconcile God's goodness to what happened? Is God really asking me to forget these things? Is God saying that I should, and it's saying, hey, it's all good, and move on from that and actually deal? These are things that I don't think I'm qualified to answer. But I do know that the covenant that God gives us can help us move forward in a great way to deal with what's happened and what we've done but most importantly, know what's true about what God says to us. That he forgives wickedness, all of it. And he will not call to mind your sins. That he sees you and he sees you. Not your mistakes, not your sin, but he sees you. And that's a tremendous thing. Um, you can go back a slide, Will. You know, we are um, we're ruthless people. This is not something we're good at. I'm trying to make this lighthearted. This is back in 2003. Uh, the Cubs, sorry, Zach, Rice. The Cubs at this point had not won a World Series since 1908. This was 2003. They wouldn't, know, they wouldn't win another one until 2016, so over 100 years. And Steve Bartman, you can't really see it. But this is game five against the Florida Marlins. Whoever wins this game, if the Cubs would have win this game, they would go to the World Series for the first time in a long, 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 long time. Break the curse, break the curse, break the curse. This is a pop fly to uh, left field. This is Moises Alou, who has a bead on it. He jumps up, and Steve Bartman reaches over and grabs a sure out from Moises Alou, which would actually have ended the threat, ended the inning. They would have one more inning, and most likely the Cubs would have gone victorious. But he caught this foul ball which he, he did, the Marlins would go on to score eight runs in that inning with two outs, beat the Cubs that game, and then win game six, curse continued. Steve Bartman 
had death threats. He was under basically like security detail because people, Cubs fans, this isn't Chicago people, well, maybe. This, they're, they're really going after this guy. He even has a documentary about his life and how his life was ruined because of this mistake. And this is baseball. Baseball. Like, does it really have any bearing on your life? Maybe the guy's in the field, but really, as fans, come on. Maybe you were betting and you lost a couple, you know, smooth Ks. I don't know. But it's baseball. Now let's bring it forward to the reality of the spiritual that we live in. We'd all take this as our greatest mistake in light of what we've really done and what it really cost. Catch a fly ball, Cubs will win the World Series anyway, that's your worst thing, okay, I'll take it. But the reality is the worst thing we've done didn't lose someone a World Series game. It cost Scott his son. And that powerful blood is shed for us. And that's what our sins cost. Hebrews 9, 9 says, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Hebrews 9 continues, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. God's blood is so powerful that it allows God to no longer keep your sins in mind. Not just an outward cleansing, but a cleansing of you completely, how much so it even cleanses your conscience. That you are meant to be free from the acts that lead to death. Those memories of the sin that killed Jesus, when we celebrate communion, it was so apt that Cody and Brittany said that, that communion is not a sulking time, it is celebration. That the sins that should sear your conscience that, that leads to death no longer do if you're in Christ. But that now serves a purpose. You know what? That serves a purpose. Those terrible decisions I've made serve a purpose. While I'm not proud, it has brought me to a greater appreciation for the love and sacrifice and grace of Christ. That I can look back on the sins of my youth, not with fondness, like, oh, I'd do it again. But that broke me so that I could see my need. And all the while, God was there loving me all the same. That, the mistakes and the traumatic, can now serve a purpose in our lives. That's the power of the new covenant. But it's not meant to stop there with forgiveness. This is meant to propel us forward. This was mentioned two or three times. We're coming in for a landing. How do we respond to a God that sees you, sees who you truly are, but yet decides not to call your sin to mind? That he has given his blood, the very blood of his son, to cleanse you, not just outwardly, but in your heart. That you can walk in real freedom. That's the covenant that we have. It's meant to prompt in us a response. 2 Peter 1 tells us that that divine power, the power of the blood, the mystery of the cleansing blood of Christ has given us everything we need to live a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. For this reason, the knowledge of this covenant 
is meant to produce in us a desire for faith, for goodness, for knowledge, for self-control, for perseverance, for godliness, for mutual affection, and for mutual affection to lead to love. This covenant, church, is meant to help spur us on and equip us and provide for us everything we need to have those qualities in increasing measure. Not dabbled, not here and gone, but increasing measure. Here's the warning that shook me. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them, meaning there is no goodness, there is no knowledge, there is no all that, is nearsighted and blind. Why? Because they forgot that they have been cleansed from their past sins. It is possible, church, to take this covenant for granted. It won't take God's love from you, but it's possible to take a life, a life of living in the power of the blood away from you. Because we can forget how intentional and beautiful and intense is the power of the blood. That he no longer calls our sin to mind. It is meant to produce in us a confidence by the blood of Jesus to live, as Hebrews 10 says, a new and living way that was opened to us from the curtain. Now we live in a way that holds unswervingly, this is Hebrews 9:24, that holds unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he is faithful. What I want you to think about is one, the very covenant of Christ that no longer sees you by according to your sin. Practice the presence of God this week by reminding yourself that when God sees you, he does not see your sin. Not because he doesn't know it, but because he chooses to see what's covering you instead. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. God sees that, not me. And that is the new covenant. Secondly, if that's true of you, you can practice that being true of others. That if this knowledge of the covenant is produced in the end game, love. Then fast forward to 1 Corinthians 13, which love is all that matters. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love yourself. Love others. I can forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. Hmm. Hmm. To the standard you use, it will be used against you. This is challenging. And while I end with a bit of a, a caveat, do not walk away thinking, God wants me to forget my trauma. God wants me to forget all the bad things that have happened to me and just think, man, do away with all those terrible things and who those people are and what they've done. No, 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 no. God is near to the brokenhearted. 
He is familiar with suffering. But what I do believe he is guiding us through those awful experiences is to get you to a point where you can see that he works out for the good of everyone who loves him. That God can take a terrible situation and through the blood of Christ can transform you to rise above it for it actually to empower you to be more like him. Only the blood of Christ can do that. So hear that, please. So remember the covenant. If you're covered in the blood of Christ, he sees that, not you. He can no longer call to mind your sin because the blood of Christ. He is relentlessly just in killing Jesus, in our sin killing Jesus, but he's bountiful in his mercy that should change us. It's astonishing to see his wrath. It's unimaginable to see his love. And walk with Christ this week in loving yourself and loving others by not keeping a record of wrongs. And I feel like there will be a lot of greater appreciation of the covenant when we practice that because it is hard to not remember, to not bring it to mind when your coworker walks in on Monday, to not bring it to mind when your husband does that thing again, to not bring it to mind when your kids are off doing that again, to not bring it to mind, it is so hard. But that's what God does for us. Let that empower, let that humble, let that inspire us all the more of this new covenant. Please stand for a We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.